Yep, I accidentally deleted my uh, sermon for this week, and I just realized it wasn't published. Went to go do it, and I hit the wrong button, and I deleted it, and I couldn't undo the delete. So that was a whole bunch of effort gone down the toilet. And while I'm waiting for uh, me to have to go work on some stupid stuff, I am going to record it again and send it. We're not going to do any background stuff because last time I did the background, it just didn't sound good. And I feel like I'm talking too fast and I can't stop myself. Anyway, let me tell you some stupid facts from a uh, couple of records. See, there's a book published in 1609. It was borrowed from the Sydney Sussex College in Cambridge. That's in you know Great Britain. Anyways, it was borrowed in 1667, and it set the record for an unreturned and overdue library book. Sir John Plum discovered it in the library at Houghton Hall in Norfolk. Took it back 288 years later. Uh, No penalty was imposed. Now, on the same line, a book by Dr. J. Curry on febrile disorders. Well, that book was borrowed in 1823 from the University of Cincinnati uh, Medical Library. And on December 7th in 1868, the borrower's great-grandson, Richard Dodd, returned it. Now attached to that was a fine of $2,264. They forgave the debt. Kind of on that whole note, though. A father had two sons. He went to the first and said, go, work in my vineyard today. And the boy said, all right, on it. But he got lost. I don't know, playing video games or reading comic books, some shit. The father approached the second son with the same request. And the second son said, no, I'm not going to go work in the vineyard. It sounds like work. Later, he changed his mind and he went. And Jesus asks us, which of these two did what the father wanted? Now, in my opinion, that first son had good intentions. And that needs to mean something, right? When the father asked him to work in the field, he didn't object. He did not snark back at him. I have no doubt that he actually meant well. Let's let's go with another story. So there were a couple of city slickers back east who were talking to an old cowboy in front of gas station, Wyoming. He described himself as being stranded in a small canyon with a grizzly bar lurking two yards away behind a tree. The steep canyon wall on my ride had to be shot off in order to hit that bear. You know, I'm a great shot, so I measured the windage. I determined the barrel's length and twist right. I weighed this against the bullet's toughness and the angle of yaw it would have after slamming into the wall. And I estimated I had about a 80 to 20 chance of hitting the bear. A controlled ricochet from one rail bank shot. So I aimed and fired. And the old man left a long pause. And the woman just couldn't bear the suspense anymore. Said, well, did you hit the bear? No, ma'am. Missed the damn wall. Good intentions. I bet after... uh. The bear and he peed themselves. They both ran off in separate directions and finally ended up getting out of the canyon without messing with each other. See, if good intentions were all was needed, we'd probably all be millionaires, right? Good Levinson was both an inventor and a photographer. He had good intentions. 
See, early cameras were bulky, immovable, slow. It made it difficult to capture the spontaneous moments that we take for granted with our cell phones, honestly. Levison dubs these instantaneous pictures. He would flip over what we can do today. But he was one of the pioneers. Because, because he wanted to capture those instantaneous pictures, he and his business partner, George Bradford Brainerd, invented their own camera, which they dubbed the Brainerd Levison Hand Camera. And they patented it in 1885. Now, they frequently visited picturesque areas close to their Brooklyn homes. But they also went on vacations to the Canadian forests, the New Jersey shore, and other locations. Sadly, in 1877, the partnership was dissolved when Brainerd passed away. Shortly after that, Levinson created a camera that could snap a number of photos quickly. It's one hell of a... Development. Sadly, he never finished the paperwork to patent his idea because of family obligations and other tasks. His chance for immortality was lost due to that delay. So, While Levinson and Thomas Edison both created sequential cameras in 1891, Edison's the one who obtained the patent for the motion picture camera. Gold Levinson wanted that patent for his invention. We can definitely be certain of that. But he never got around to it because there are more important things to take care of. But he did have good intent. Some unknown person wrote this. He was going to be all that a mortar should be tomorrow. No one could be better than he tomorrow. Each morning, he stacked up the letters he'd write tomorrow. It was too bad indeed. He was too busy to see Bill, but he promised to do it tomorrow. The greatest of workers this man would have been tomorrow. The world would have known him had he'd ever seen tomorrow. But the fact is he died and faded from view, and all that was left when he was living through was a mountain of things he intended to do tomorrow. Oh, there's those good intentions again. It's really easy how we can just put off doing the things we should. Isn't it? Just so easy. Even activities we want to do are put on hold by a lot of us. Hell, I keep putting off doing this damn podcast, and I love this thing. I definitely don't get, like, the viewership or listenership that, you know, would really make it happen spectacularly for me that I know of, but... Here we are. So anyway, there's this friend of mine. He lost his wife not very long ago, and he FaceTimed me after it happened, so he'd have someone there while he packed up all of her stuff. That's something I wish on no one, having to pack up their former partner's stuff. Anyway, he was in the closet, and he just broke down when he pulled out this pink box. Sobbing, he put it on the bed and opened it, and there lay this dress, a black evening gown. It was one of those black tie, white shirt event kind of dresses, you know? He told me that when she had bought it, 
some time ago, she had been saving it for some, quote, special occasion. And they had been to a couple of award award banquets and dinners and uh, shows and things like that. But she always decided it wasn't the right occasion. So I sat there unworn. He scream cried at me about never saving anything for some special moment. Because we'll never find it. You know, I, I kind of live by that a little bit. When I got the engagement ring for my wife, I didn't wait for some special moment. I took it out of the box. We went inside the house. She went to go fold laundry and I showed up and said, Hey, this box is yours. She opened it and I said, marry me. Of course, she had already said yes like multiple times anyway. But the fact is, though, I wasn't going to wait for some special moment to give her that ring. Giving her that ring is the special moment. Something to think about. Because all things are special. Maybe that's the cure for these good intentions. Dale Carnegie uh, once said, that one of the most unfortunate aspects of our nature is that we all have this propensity to put off living. Instead of appreciating the roses that are flowering outside our windows right now, we are all daydreaming about a fantastical rose garden that lies just beyond the horizon. Those good intentions. We don't know why that first son never got to the chores. Was it procrastination? Something more appealing came along? We don't know, but we know it's very much part of the human nature to make commitments that we do not keep. To make promises that just go unfulfilled. To leave behind a mountain of good intentions. In Greensboro, North Carolina, there's the Center for Creative Leadership. And they released a study that 21 high-potential executives were terminated or forced to retire early from their companies. Now, the one universal flaw, and the universal flaw that happened to just a couple days ago to uh, the Speaker of the House, and their downfall, the universal character flaw, was they did not do something that was promised. Which brings us to the second part. That second son worked in the orchard. Now, considering all the bullshit he started with, the second one's father, or the second one wouldn't go to work for his father, right? He wanted to go play on his Switch. He wanted to go hang out with his friends, maybe crack a beer. Whatever it is, the thing is, he changed his mind, though. He went out and did the work. His dad wanted him to do it. Don't know why. He changed his mind. And he did the work. So there's this intern. uh, When you work as... How do I put this? Dr. Robert Cole met a young child. While he was doing his time at a hospital for pediatric service, helping kids with leukemia. 
This is before they have all these medications that we do now to help save these kids. Back then, all they really had was blood, more blood, and transfusions. The first child he ever had to transfuse was this nine-year-old girl. She looked at him and asked, how many more do you think you'll give me? Now, thinking trying to, she was trying to gain some sort of therapeutic knowledge about her treatment, he simply said that he didn't know. She looked at him with a seriousness that no child should have and said, no, not today, I meant before I die. He tried his best in that moment to reassure her, but she had no patience for it. She heard all the platitudes before. And I think she was just done with it all. She told him that before this cancer wins, she hopes she gets a win too. And that statement just slapped him. So he asked her to what end was she talking about? What what was this win that she was looking for? She replied with that a while before she died, she'd like to be good. You know, so that her mom and dad could tell everybody that she was a good girl when she was gone. And the doctor was pretty shocked, but asked her in what world she was talking about. Why was she not a good girl for now? And listened to her with a ready list of all the crazy antics she was up to before her diagnosis. It was really hard to believe. The next day, her mom and dad verified everything she said. The mom said something had cut him to the core. She says she wants to prove herself to be a good person before she dies. She's asked us for help. See, we all live a lifetime trying to figure out how to live. So I have a question. Actually, no, that's a lie. I have several questions. Um, if you knew that you had a very short time to live, what would you change in your life? What promises have you made that you've not kept? What good intentions have you not carried out? That's the truth. None of us have that much time. If we're all going to be all that God wants us to be, we need to start getting to it. A father walked up to his son and told him to go work in the vineyard. The son said, yes, sir, here I go. And that son never went near the vineyard. Father approached the second son. The same request, but the second son said, I won't. After he changed his mind and he went. Which of these two did what the father wanted. Soren Kierkegaard, he's a Danish philosopher, once told the story of a flock of geese that was starting to head south to escape the wintry blast of wind. First night, they landed in a farmer's yard, filled themselves with corn. The next morning, they all flew on. All that is except for one. The corn's good, this goose said, so I'm going to stay and enjoy it another day. The next morning, he decided to wait till another day, and another after that, enjoying all this delicious food. Pretty soon, 
He develops a habit. Tomorrow I'll fly south, he said. Then the, came the inevitable day when the winds of winter were so severe that waiting any longer would mean death. He stretched his wings, wallowed across the barnyard, picking up speed as he went, but he found himself too fat to fly. He'd waited too long. Someone once uh, put it to me like this. Maybe it was my grandfather. Jesus said, follow me. But we work to evaluate the meaning of this statement. What's the intent? He said, follow me, but I question the results of such an action. We could lose members. We could cause division. But he said, follow me. I think we should discuss this another time. The hours and days just aren't convenient. Jesus said, follow me. But I think I we should, you know, as a staff, write a paper and then we can react with more information. Jesus said, follow me. But what will it cost in dollars? Our budget's pretty tight. Jesus said, follow me. But have we got the time to give all this commitment? The voice from heaven can be heard for Jesus' sake and your own. Just follow him. Hmm. A father had two sons. There are Jews in the world. There are Buddhists. There are Hindus and Mormons and then... There are those that follow Mohammed's but I've never been one of them. Oh Lord, oh you are so big, so absolutely huge. Do you think maybe he's compensating for something? <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. What do we learn? I don't know, sir. I don't fucking know either.